chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm thrilled to have Terry Grieg on the show today. Terry is an author, speaker, cancer survivor, and three-time Ironman competitor. Terry, I am just so delighted to have you on the show today with us. And I've read your story. I know your story. I've heard you speak. But this is a great opportunity for our listening audience to get to know you, too, if they don't already, which they probably do. But I'm so excited to have you here. Can we just dive in? Because there's a lot of things I want to talk about today. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up. Well, Lisa, I was born here in St. Louis. And uh, my mom and dad were both from St. Louis, so we have lots of roots here. I have two older sisters. I was a late-in-life baby, so my sisters are 13 and 14 years older than me. I married my high school sweetheart. Very much a typical kind of St. Louis story. We both went to private schools, were married. I was a nurse for, practicing nurse for about 20 years. We have two children. My son now is 30 and my daughter is 26. I can't believe it, which is absolutely wonderful. And um, yeah, we're just St. Louis bred. I'm very, very proud of my hometown. I am too. I love St. Louis and I'm not from here, but I say all the time, we're definitely St. Louisans now. So very proud of our hometown. So in, in high school, you were involved in sports. What really drew you into sports? Did one of your siblings or a parent or a coach, a teacher, how did you get into sports? I'm not really sure, except that I can remember as a eight or nine years old playing Bitty basketball in the YMCA league, and I would be so excited about going. Couldn't wait for the weekends to go play in this little basketball game. And then I was introduced to swimming when I was about seven, competitive swimming just on a summer league, and I loved that too. And I, I was really ended up a pretty good swimmer. And I, I really believe that when you're good at something, you know, you want to do it more. That mm-hmm. little bit of success feeds the soul. So I became a swimmer and then just did a lot of high school sports and loved it. Once I got into college and nursing school and then marriage, I really kind of gave that up and didn't do too much, maybe a little tennis and a little golf here and there, but was reignited that flame in my mid-40s, actually. So it took in quite a break. mid-40s. And what did you do in your mid-40s? How did you start? Did you start swimming again? Did you start running? What did you do? Uh, I ran a marathon. <laughs> You ran a marathon in your mid. So there's still hope. 
There is always hope. hope. There is always hope. You're right. Now, did you train? Did you go through Fleet Feet or did you do some sort of training to get ready for that? So I mentioned I have my two older sisters and each of them have two girls. And so I'm actually closer in age to my four nieces than I am to my sisters. Oh, my goodness. And it was uh, in July of 2002, my niece stopped by my house and told me she was going to go run the Chicago Marathon. And I thought, well, having the competitive spirit that I do, um, (laughs) if she's going to run that marathon, I'm going to run it too. And it was kind of before marathons were really the thing to do. I mean, now I think lots of people have the opportunity and and choose that goal. Mm -hmm. But back then it was a little bit more under the radar. And so we, um, in October of 2002, we trained together and went to Chicago and finish the marathon. What an awesome thing to share with your niece. Oh, it was amazing. It was probably my first introduction to kind of community and sport. Well, okay. So you ran a marathon, but then you went on and you did something even bigger. And I've got a lot of friends that have done Ironman competitions and I'm always just amazed at that. So you went on and you did a couple of Ironmans in Louisville, Kentucky. So what inspired you to do that, Terry? So after I I did that first marathon, I joined a gym and I started taking spinning classes. The spinning instructor said, oh, you know, maybe you should try outdoor cycling. So I bought a bike, got into cycling. I had always been a swimmer. So that was an easy one to pick up. Way back in the day, I can remember seeing Julie Moss, um, a commercial on TV or something like that, literally crawling across the finish line in, in an Ironman competition. And crazy as it sounds, I thought, wow, that looks pretty amazing, you know. So so I knew I, I knew a little bit about triathlon for a long time and had that kind of as a outside goal. And I happened to have qualified for the Boston Marathon. This was like in 2006, and I was watching TV and the Ironman competition while I was training for Boston in the middle mm-hmm. of the winter, and the Ironman competition came on TV, the World Championship. And as I watched that, um, actually the story was about a young man. They picked four or five inspirational athletes from around the world mm-hmm. and tell their story. Probably the most famous being Dick and Rick Hoyt, the father that pushes the son. I have seen that, yes. I watched that uh, in 2006. It was about a young man named John Blaze that had ALS. And his dream was to do this Ironman, the world championship. And as he he said he no matter what, he would finish that race, even if he had to roll across the finish line. And as he came down that finishing shoot, and I'm watching this on television, he literally got down and rolled across the finish line. And his parents came and knelt next to him, and I just started crying. And I thought, I want to do that. And that's what started uh, my kind goal. Of sparked it sparked that did. fire yeah. inside of you. Yep. Wow. I mean, it has to be, you know, Covey says start with the end in mind. You probably had to visualize yourself, didn't you, Terry, like crossing that finish line? I mean, that's the goal, right? But I'm sure you enjoyed the journey as well along the way in training for that. I absolutely do. I mean, even to this day, I don't really compete. I say I participate and I don't have any plans on doing another Ironman because I had the opportunity to cross the greatest, I think, finish line ever Mm -hmm. in the world. And and I've really achieved all of my physical goals Mm -hmm. that I have set out. 
for me now, it's the purpose behind the drive. And um, Right, and we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. I do want to get into that. So you did two Ironmans, and that was, was that 2007 and 2008 or 2008? 2008 and, and 2009, nine, nine yes. in Louisville. Yep. And then you had what I call a life interruption. Tell us about that. 2008, I had come in fifth in my age group in Ironman Louisville. And the fourth place woman qualified for the world championship. So I had this goal that, you know, I can train smarter, better, do all these things and possibly qualify for the world championship in 2009. So I went back to Louisville. But as I was training in the spring and the summer of 2009, I just didn't have, I had a foot injury that wouldn't heal. I was tired. I thought, well, maybe I'm overtrained. I'm a year older. I started having some bleeding. I thought, well, anybody that sits on a small seat on a road bike for 100 miles you know, could have issues. Yeah, all these things. But I said, you know, after I finish the race, which was in August, if I don't start feeling better, still having issues, I'll go see a doctor. And I was only 10 minutes slower than the year before. I didn't qualify, but true to what I said, I mean, our bodies are just amazing. I called, actually a good friend of mine's husband was a gastroenterologist. So two weeks later, I had a colonoscopy. And when I woke up from the colonoscopy, as you say, my life was interrupted. I always say my life changed in the blink of an eye, a snap of a finger. Mm -hmm. Um, And he came in and said, you you have colon cancer. It's a very large tumor, and uh, I want you to go over and get CAT scans. And Those are scary words, aren't they? I just, I recently was at the Siteman 20th anniversary of the Siteman Cancer Center, and someone was speaking, and she said, it's just those words, you have cancer, mm-hmm. you have cancer. And she said, it's just almost surreal, but just some of the scariest words. Well, your life is never the same as the nanosecond before you hear those words. But I always like to keep in mind, Lisa, that everybody has a cancer, which is an adversity. Mm-hmm. And it's all in how you, you know, what you choose to do with that and how you frame it and how you move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've I've read you saying that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everyone has a cancer. It could be a financial cancer. It could be a relationship cancer. Everyone has something, right? But it's how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I look at your story and we'll get into it, but I just look at you how courageous, Terry, you were during well, all you. of that time. And not just courageous, but, you know, we'll get into what you're doing today. Talk to me a little bit about... When the doctor came in and said you had cancer, I mean, what were your first thoughts? Well, originally, I thought this is going to be a little interruption. You know, I thought, mm-hmm. well, I, being a nurse, I, well, we'll just go in, we'll do a colon resection, we'll cut the bad part out. You know, there might be some hiccups along the way, but it'll all seriously would just be a short interruption. So I didn't, I really just thought no big deal. And I think somewhat self preservation, I didn't think about going over to get the scans. I mean, I just, We just went and did it. But it was that evening when I got the phone call that it had metastasized to my liver already that the reality set in. Mm -hmm. And I had in between that time, the, the coming home from the hospital and getting the phone call, I had Googled the American Cancer Society and colon cancer, and it said stage one, stage two, stage three. And when it got to stage four, it said a five year survival rate of 6%. And I shut down the computer and went on about my day. So when I got the phone call that it had moved to my liver, which put me in the stage Stage four, four. my first visual was of my daughter on her wedding day in this beautiful wedding gown and my two sisters 
standing next to her, and it was almost like I was floating above her, looking down, and my sisters were saying, you know, if your mother was here today, she would tell you what a what a beautiful woman you are inside and out, mm-hmm. and what a fantastic mother you're going to make one day, and you know, just those those things that. I, yeah. Now we laugh because I'm like my son was not even on my radar screen. We kinda, <laughs> you know, we kind of joke about that, but uh, just your daughter, just my daughter. <laughs> Poor Kyle. No, but we love you, Kyle. That's right. That's right. He's, yeah. You just think about that comes back around. Yeah. It will, I'll share that in a little bit. Okay, but that good. comes back around. So. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Very good. Then, in other words, Terry, you're a miracle. Absolutely, you are a miracle that you're here sitting across from me, you know, when 6% survive, right? I call it the 6% rule. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to be in the 6%, so why not be me? Right, exactly. Well, I love that. So talk to us then about what was your road to recovery? What was that like? I mean, you, I mean, how long did it take? You went through chemo, you went through radiation, I'm sure. So I was diagnosed at age 48. I like to always take a minute and talk about colon cancer and a minute of educating because I know we can yes, save lives. Mm-hmm. So you should start screening at 50. Now American Cancer Society says that really you should start screening at 45. So this is a new initiative okay. because the rate in young people as early as in their early 20s is skyrocketing. So thank you, one, for having me here today so I can just put a little plug in about that. Right. And the reason I so firmly believe in that, Lisa, is because Two weeks after I was diagnosed, I said my sisters were older. They were in the early 60s. They had never had colonoscopies. They both went. One had precancerous polyps, and my other sister diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. So I call myself an accidental advocate. Everybody needs to know about their family history. That's what's really important to me. It's so important. And, you know, sometimes we think we can put those things off, but we know research has shown us that the earlier you catch it, right, Terry? So colon cancer is the one cancer that can be prevented, it's treatable and beatable if found early. Yes. So I had had my colonoscopy, I had uh, radiation, I had chemotherapy, I had a colon resection, liver resection more chemo, and then I was placed on, it took about a year, and then I was placed on maintenance chemotherapy, which I was on for about eight years. I had uh, two reoccurrences, one again in my liver, um, and then it metastasized to both my lungs, so then I had bilateral lung resections. Here's where the miracle comes in. I've been on a chemo break for about 18 months. Um, We monitor my condition with scans and lab work and uh, I just say I, I make the most of every day. Every day. And I kind of live in three month increments and uh, just an attitude of gratitude. Yes, I love it. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Terry. Hi, everybody. I just wanted to take a second and tell you about something our team at Technology Partners can do for your business. We have spent over two decades partnering with organizations and helping them solve their IT needs from a 360-degree perspective. A huge part of how we solve those needs is by developing custom applications of all shapes and sizes. If your team is looking for software and an out-of-the-box solution just isn't right, it's time to consider how we might be able to help. Go to tpi.co slash custom apps and learn more about our awesome capabilities. So, Terry, 
the road to recovery, that had to have been a really hard time for you. So how did you maintain your positivity during that period of time? That's an interesting question. I get this a lot. And there's really two, I think, big storylines in my life. And the other, besides uh, dealing with cancer and living with cancer now, it would be that I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. I'm proud to say one day at a time, I'll just celebrate 26 years of, of sobriety, continuous sobriety. So people ask me a lot, like, how do you deal with your cancer? And basically, um, I always say I have an outline of living, for living, and that would be the 12 steps. And I took many of those principles and applied those to dealing and living with cancer, Mm -hmm. too. So acceptance, turning it over one day at a time, all those little tools, life tools that I've learned, Mm -hmm. um, I just was able to utilize that mm-hmm. when when dealing with this other adversity. So can you run through a few of those you just did, but for people that don't know the 12 steps, I mean, if this is something, and I've heard this from so many people that the 12 steps can apply in all sorts of situations mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those? I think I just really touched on probably the the, the ones, ones that are most important to me. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people say, I can, he can, I'll let him. And that can be a community of people. That can be your faith. That can be anything. But I think the whole idea of that you're not alone, that you don't walk through your journey by yourself, there are others to support you. It's about accepting. It's about moving forward. It's about how you frame things. It's about one day at a time. I live by that motto. You know, we have a special needs daughter. And I remember after she was born, somebody just said, don't look too far in the future. Just take one day at a time. And sometimes that's all you can do, right? Right. (laughs) That's all you can handle is one day at a time. So I love that. I think that's great advice for anybody going through some sort of adversity. So you had kind of alluded to this before, and you said you got to cross the biggest finish line that you could imagine. And I'm assuming that was your Iron Man and Kona. Correct. Is that the one that you're referring to? Yes. So talk to us about that. So you were diagnosed with cancer. You went through your road to recovery, and then in 2011, you actually got to do the Ironman in Kona. So I never gave up that idea of fulfilling this this huge dream of going to the world championship. The summer of 2011, so I'd been through treatment for a year and on maintenance chemo for a year, I uh, sent my story into Ironman, and that's where my Kyle story kind of comes in. I did this little email, and I said, look, I laid, use a cancer card. I used the five-year 6%. I said I have three goals now in life. One is to live long enough to celebrate 25 years of marriage. Two is to live long enough to see my daughter and my son get married, my dream, not theirs, and three, to do the Ironman World Championship. And the next morning, I woke up and I had a response. And they get tens of thousands of these emails. Mm -hmm. So one of my messages is, your dreams, your goals, put them out there. They can come true. Yes. And so then in October of 2011, they accepted me. I said that they tell, you know, five stories. Little did I know that my my world would come full circle. I talked about being on the treadmill and watching John Blaze roll across the finish line. And so in 2011, 35 friends and family, my doctors, all we all went to Kona, Hawaii. And that's what I talk about, never alone and build an army. And I crossed the finish line. And it was, <laughs> I wish everybody could have that experience. Mm-hmm. Whatever your finish line is, mm-hmm. I wish you could have what that experience. What did it feel like? I, I can't what were even your emotions. It not even describable. I can't even describe it. Indescribable. We, I have a YouTube video of it, and we can add that link if you'd like. Okay. But it was you. You just can't put words around right. it. Right. So, what I love about you 
is that you went through this, but you didn't stop there. You founded the organization that you are the founder of today, Correct. Powered by Hope. Correct. And I'm a big acrostic person, and I, did, I didn't realize, I mean, Powered by Hope, that sounds great, but the hope, the acrostic is how ordinary people endure. Correct. And I love that. So tell us about Powered by Hope and, you know, what you're trying to do to build awareness out there. So Powered by Hope, I got the the slogan when I was going to Kona. I wanted everybody to have a T-shirt. And I thought, what can I put on this T-shirt? And in the middle of the night, that motto came to me. And since then, uh, there's been a book written, and it's called Powered by Hope. And then people kept saying, you know, they were just inspired by my story. And I wanted to be able to give hope to other people. And how could I do that? And it came to me in the form of a medal. When you hear the word you have cancer, that truly is the greatest race of your life. And I, if I could have a symbol of hope, which was a medal, to mark their race, then that would be something that they would have. And then I also, there are these coins of courage. And this is part of our Powered by Hope mission is to mm-hmm. touch those, anybody really, to we inspire, we recognize, and we support those touched by cancer. So that's really what the Powered by Hope mission is about. Um, we've kind of formed our own community. And uh, probably the largest part that I'm very proud of within this is under support is really we go out into the community. We have a Powered by Hope team for cycling at the Pedal the Cause event. We have probably close to 250 members right now. We've raised almost $1.7 million for cancer research. And it's about encouraging and uplifting one another on a daily basis and hope Hope is not just about that there's going to be a cure for cancer. Mm -hmm. It's truly about as I walk through this adversity, how can I make the most of every single day? Mm -hmm. Is it your faith? Is it your friends? Is it your family? What and how can I do do this to the best of my ability? Amazing. And I, I really believe, you know, in order to keep something, you have to give it away. And so it's just really this dichotomy, like the more, and you can tell I'm just getting all excited right mm-hmm. now because I feel like the more I can give hope and inspire others and give it away, the I don't know, the more I'm filled. Right. It's crazy. It is so true. I always say, you know, there's no proverb, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive, right. you know, and people, you're like, really? You know, but when you do that, it certainly is. And for you... Terry, you've been through it, so nobody can, you know, really step into those people's shoes like you can and somebody that's actually been through what you've been through and just to give them hope. So what is your mission today? I always say I have two major goals. It's to inspire others and to save lives. It's pretty simple. Well, you're definitely doing that. I know you are. Just by telling your story, the awareness, and, and the one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking, you know, about how you... You just knew something wasn't right in your body. Right. And that, that I hear that so many times because I've done a lot with American Heart Association. And one of the things they say, nobody knows your body like you do. Nobody feels like you feel. So if you feel something, go have it checked out. Don't wait, you know, because you're going to know your body and how it normally feels. And it feels abnormal. Go get it checked mm-hmm. out. You know, what's the harm in that? But sometimes we just think, oh, I'll do that. Yeah, it's probably just this or that, you know. So if people don't take away anything else, make health a really high priority. Right. Absolutely. Dan Forth, 
wrote a book a long time ago called um, I Dare You. And one of the things he says, he calls it the four-legged stool. But he says in that book, he says, wealth cannot buy health. It doesn't matter how rich you are. (laughs) You know, if you've got health issues, right? wealth cannot buy health, but health can buy wealth. You know, so his big four-legged stool and his number one was his health. He had to keep himself healthy to do everything else for his family and his relationships and his career and sometimes faith I believe and that everything people else, so. are afraid you know of what might be found and I am not grateful that I got cancer but I am so grateful for all the blessings that it has brought me would I ever dream I'd be sitting here talking to you today or being able to help other people or living my life like an open book mm-hmm. no but this is more than I ever dreamt of. I've lived more in the last 10 years than I lived in 40. And for that, I'm forever You're very grateful. grateful. Awesome. I love it. Well, I want to talk to you about something extra. So what do you believe? I know that you've got not a team, but it is a team. It's a community. Mm-hmm. Is there somebody in your life Terry, that you've observed as something extra, and I could surmise all kinds of something extras in you and what you think every leader needs, but I want to hear it from you. This is what I love. I get to watch other people now share their experience and their strength and their hope. And it might not have been something that they would have been comfortable with before, Mm -hmm. but cancer changes you. And it brings about parts I think that they never that knew they that, never they had. Knew that they had. And right. it allows them to step out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And they realize that giving others hope, sharing their stories, gives people inspiration. It shows in the way, one of the ways, one of the roads to go, and it gives other people hope. And that's what I just love watching others give back and do these things is they navigate their own journey and their own adversity. Very good. Well, Terry, we're coming to the end of our time here, but I want to talk to you. I want to give you an opportunity. If there's anything that you want to tell our listening audience about, maybe something that they could participate in that's coming up or anything like that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Thanks, Lisa. You can find Powered by Hope on the internet at poweredbyhope.org. We have a Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Really what I would say is, you know, if you want to give hope to others, you want a medal or a coin, we give those out. You can contact us through our website. But if you'd like to join our team, Powered by Hope, for Pedal the Cause, that bike event takes place the end of September 28th and 29th. You can find um, pedalthecause.org. Really, we'd love to grow our team. We'd love every penny of every dollar raised goes to cancer research. St. Louis is an unbelievable city, so generous. So the event is completely Mm -hmm. underwritten. So 100% of your fundraising goes to cancer research and stays here in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And where does it start? Like where, downtown? It's in Chesterfield. In Chesterfield. Sure. So you can ride, anybody can, and that's why I'm like, watch out, Lisa, here I come. (laughs) Uh, I think I may have an ass coming. (laughs) uh, A spin bike, they have a a spin tent in the amphitheater. It's so cool. And then you can ride anywhere from 10 miles to 100 miles. There's something for everybody. And it is I always say if I can get one person there, they're sold. They're back every single year. So, oh, um, it sounds like a great event. It is. Great event. So if you're interested, get on the Internet and join the Powered by Hope team to raise money for cancer research. Thank you. Terry, thank you so much for being here with us. It's just been a delight. Well, thank you, Lisa. I'm, I'm honored to be able to share my story and to give hope to others. Very good. 
Our show today is executive produced by Brian Muncy. Our technical producer is Daniel Williams. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach out to Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.